0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Government agencies at all levels have been stressed by the pandemic, it's fair to say. A symptom of that stress has been decidedly mixed levels of customer service and customer experience. Here with a progress report, Forrester Research Vice President Rick Parrish. Rick, good to have you back. Hey, good to be here, thanks. And we spoke a few months ago when your annual report of federal customer service came out and you know, lags in general behind the private sector. But let's face it, the private sector has had its issues in the pandemic. What's your sense of how government is doing in general?
0: My sense is that, yes, government does still lag, but folks in government at all levels have been working extra hard, uh, harder than I think a lot of the private sector has been working, frankly, in a lot of areas. And we've seen a lot of cases of really great progress and really great innovation. And I think one of the things that I've seen that is especially encouraging is not just momentary innovation, you know, the occasional rollout of some new shiny object, but a real systematic sustained approach to innovation in customer experience throughout government that I think is going to yield some sustainable results rather than reverting back to the old normal.
1: Any examples that come to mind that have done well?
0: Sure. So we've certainly seen there's certainly been news about, say, some vaccination websites and such that haven't gone as well as folks would have liked them to. But there've also been a lot of bright spots. State of Virginia, for instance, has, a, by all accounts, a um, and I found it to be personally a very user friendly, good user experience vaccination website that seems to be quite usable by folks in different demographic groups who otherwise you know might have trouble with digital. We've seen a lot of state governments, for instance, also as a result of legislation, as a result of executive orders and such, really start to take a more, more holistic approach to customer experience. The state of Pennsylvania jumps out at me, for instance. You know, They have a, a governor's mandate to improve the quality of the digital customer experience. And that's what I think of as this kind of holistic, systematic approach to improving the customer experience, rather than in the past where government organizations were more likely to say, you know, oh, well, let's just tack a chat bot onto the end of this thing, and that'll do the job. They've really backed up and said, you know, what can we do strategically here? Uh, that's refreshing.
1: Because the local newspaper here had a column chiding one of the drugstore chains for its poor uh-huh. customer experience in trying to get a COVID vaccine. My personal experience, though, was with CVS. And mm-hmm. I had signed up through the state. And, of course, nothing happens or the county. But I found they had some appointments And I qualify under what's being given out now. And it was really a fast, efficient, easy to use, big numbers, big boxes to check Mm -hmm. off. And within moments, the only thing I needed was a certain federal number that I had to go dig out somewhere and enter, which that's (laughs) who's paying for it. So why not? But I got the sense that there was good integration between CVS and the federal databases so that they could, for Mm -hmm. example, verify my Medicare number.
0: Yeah, you know, that's some of this kind of under the hood stuff that's really been going on. That is a really big part of the success stories here is the public-private partnerships that have gone on here. And, and really the lifeblood of a lot of those public-private partnerships is data sharing. And it's, it's interesting, when I talk to government folks about hurdles to improving the customer experience, especially public-private partnerships, interagency and such, data sharing is one of the key things that comes up. And when you start talking data sharing, Right away, people say, well, there's a lot of regulatory hurdles you know, to data sharing. And that's true to a degree, but we find is that when you dig deeper, most of the hurdles, not all, but most of the hurdles to data sharing are actually cultural hurdles. This agency doesn't trust the agency down the street, which doesn't trust this company, which doesn't trust that company. And in a crisis, some of those cultural issues tend to fall away. You get some greater interagency trust, those public-private partnerships, things like the NIH and the CDC have really been leaders in things like that over the last year or so. And it's led to possibilities like, you know, what you experienced, that sort of integration that recently as late February of 2020 didn't seem like possibilities.
1: We're speaking with Rick Parrish, Vice President and Principal Analyst at Forrester Research. And one little gap I've noticed at the federal level, not across the board, but in a sense, a customer experience issue. But that is not everyone has had their desk phone fail over to their cell phone. And so you call a number and you wonder, will anyone actually pick this up because they're all teleworking? Some cases it does. Some cases, though, they forgot to do that. And that's not something the general public would ordinarily use to a specific federal number, but people do because they have phones.
0: Yeah, and that really speaks to the differing levels of success that government organizations around the country, around the world, of course, have had in moving to telework. At first it was pretty ad hoc in most cases because most organizations weren't set up to do it, but some did it a lot better than others. In Kentucky, for instance, I think it was their office of unemployment insurance, if I recall correctly. They were able to get employees up and running, you know, from home in like an hour or something, you know, because they had a lot of the technology set up to do this already. They hadn't planned to, but with various cloud services, etc., cetera, they could make that transition. You know, there was some cases in California as well, a couple hundred thousand state employees, you know, were moved over in that way. By having that agile technology infrastructure in place to be able to make those moves and other government organizations, you know, weren't set up to do that sort of thing.
1: In some cases, I think it was a function of speed and scale For example, the Congress gave several agencies a really big job overnight with the admonition, Mm -hmm. get this money out, get these loans out, get these checks out right now. And it was something that these agencies were already equipped to do on a regular cycle, but Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they had a 1,000% or 10,000% increase in the workload and the rules hadn't been sufficiently set up. So in many ways, agencies were a victim of the circumstances as much as the general public.
0: They certainly were. And you know, there's things that agencies can do to prepare themselves for these sorts of things by having that technology infrastructure that can scale up quickly. Some government organizations have it, some don't. You know, when you see that 1,000% uh, you know, increase in the demand for your services, et cetera, which is why early on in, in the pandemic, we saw a lot of government websites crashing and that sort of thing. And, and we still see a lot of delays, a lot of hiccups, because infrastructure still hasn't become fully scalable. There is also the issue of writing rules and things like that, which can be tricky. But there's one place where a lot of government organizations found some quick wins here and where others, unfortunately, still haven't found the wins, which is in the clarity of their communications. Government organizations have never been especially good at communicating with customers clearly. And during the pandemic, when people are extra stressed, extra overworked, extra harried, they're experiencing a constant high cognitive load and higher level background stress. People aren't able to read or think as clearly as they were prior to the pandemic. So even government communications that might have been clear prior to the pandemic suddenly become unclear. (laughs) And this is those cases in which government organizations that have realized that and thought of it have been able to really increase the clarity of their communications. And as I said, realize some real quick wins you know, in terms of the customer experience. And I don't just mean using different words or different sentence structure, although I certainly do mean that. I mean, things like providing proactive, timely updates to folks on things rather than leaving them hanging or that, you know, that sort of thing, just to help people feel that they're not forgotten, that things are up with them. For instance, uh, I mentioned the Virginia vaccine sign-up website a little while ago, and I was pleasantly surprised to see that I get a weekly email from them that just says, hey, you're still on the list. You're good. We haven't forgotten about you. You know, That's the sort of thing that's easy to do and measurably improves the quality of the customer experience.
1: You know, that reminds me, I've been getting all of a sudden weekly emails from the National Park Service, which I've never gotten in my <laughs> life. I can't think of when I might have signed up with my email, but they're pushing, hey, get out there into the great outdoors and use us. So yeah, maybe maybe mm-hmm. some lasting benefit.
0: The national parks and, you know, state and local parks, all the parks really have been big winners, you know, in this. And as a, uh, a power user of public lands myself, that's encouraging. And I certainly hope folks keep up and I certainly hope that governments around the country can um, keep the funding up. They need to make sure to create the infrastructure necessarily to handle those sorts of crowds that, you know, didn't always go so smoothly last summer.
1: Sure. And you do have your national parks passport with lots of stamps, right?
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: All right. Rick Parrish is vice president and principal analyst at Forrester Research. Thanks so much. Hey, good to talk to you. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. What makes Wayne State the college of choice? With over 130 programs of study, it's the smart choice, with more opportunities to help define your future. It's the bold choice, with high-quality, hands-on learning that will transform you into a career-ready, in-demand graduate. And as the region's lowest-cost bachelor's degree, it's the affordable choice, including scholarship opportunities available to everyone. See why more students make Wayne State College their first choice. Get started at explorewaynestatecollege.com.